Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So how can we make this case? Well, one way we can do it is to point out to people that there's no essential difference between the embryos you once were and the adults you are today that would justify killing you at that earlier stage. Arguments cannot be religious or non-religious. Arguments can either be valid or invalid, or sound or unsound. The substance view is the idea that from when you come into existence of fertilization until you die naturally, you are the same individual at every point in your life. So if it is wrong to kill you now, it was wrong to kill you then. Greetings and welcome to Pro-Life Thinking, a Life Training Institute podcast in which we will talk about the abortion issue and larger issues related to bioethics in a way that's winsome, reasonable, and persuasive. I'm Clinton Wilcox, and I have two special guests joining me today. Mother, tell your children not to walk my way. Tell your children not to hear my words. What they mean, what they say, mother. My guests today are Rebecca Valerius and Catherine Boos, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, who are collective uh, – did, did I get it or uh, or was I close? Close. It's Buse. <laughs> Buse. Okay. Rebecca Valerius and Catherine Buse, who are collectively known as Mama Bear Apologists. Rebecca Valerius is the mother of two precocious girls, and she spends much of her time studying and finding ways to quote G.K. Chesterton. She and her husband have been married for 13 years. She has a bachelor's in biochemistry from the University of Texas at Arlington and worked for several years as a research scientist in the protein crystallography lab at UT Southwestern Medical Center. She is currently studying for her master's in apologetics from Houston Baptist University. Her specialties are incorporating apologetics into culture and literature. She serves primarily as co-host with Hilary Ferrer on the Mama Bear Apologetics podcast. You can see Rebecca's writing on the Mama Bear blog as well as her personal blog, www.alongthebeam.com. Catherine Buse graduated summa cum laude with a master's in engineering from the University of Alabama, Huntsville. Postgraduate, she worked on military weapons systems for the DOD, commercial rocket manufacturing, and NASA design programs. She wrote her first book, Teaching Others to Defend Christianity, to enable small groups to understand and teach the foundations of the Christian faith. Catherine started Defend the Faith Ministry and is now part of the Mama Bear Apologetics Ministry Team. She also teaches high school calculus and apologetics at Decatur Heritage Christian Academy. So basically, both of these women are much, much smarter than I am. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm listening to Catherine. I'm going, oh my gosh, not mess with her. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, well, well ladies, welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for having us. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure. We're recording the show live, and so 
Um, I'm going to be interacting with my guests for a little bit, and then I'll open it up to callers. If there are no callers, I'll continue on with my questions. If you have a question for the Mama Bears, you can call in at 646-668-8597. Once again, that number is 646-668-8597. The first question that I, I kind of had on my mind is, how did uh, each of you become pro-life? Have you kind of always been pro-life, or was there like a, a turning point at some point in your life? Um, I re- I became pro-life. I-, I think I was always pro-life in a sense that I was raised in a Christian home, but we never talked about abortion. Um, I was born in 1974, so um, I guess that's when Ruby Wade was passed. And um, I-, I-, I don't know, it-, it wasn't part of my upbringing at all. My parents never talked about it. I don't recall hearing it in church, but I was in, I think it was either late junior high or early high school. I had a friend whose mother was a pro-life activist. She came to school, and um, she was talking to us about a movie called The Silent Screen, and she brought pictures of abortion. And I remember, I just, I can vividly remember sitting in this little courtyard between these buildings at school, between classes, and seeing these pictures and being devastated. And those pictures have stuck with me, and I have been pro-life ever since. So that was when it happened. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I've never actually seen The Silent Scream myself. I'm afraid if I do uh, watch it, it'll be uh, pretty disturbing to me. But uh, I've heard that it's a very influential video. Okay, Um, Catherine, so same question to you. Okay. Um, well, I, I don't have, I guess, as, as pivotal or defining of a moment as Rebecca had, but I think for me, just growing up in, um, in a Bible-believing Christian household, it was just always taught just the value of life just as being a unique creation of God. And so I think my initial stance on it was very biblically, biblically grounded in that, you know, we know God uniquely formed us and created us. He, you know, called people from the womb. Um, he had a plan and a purpose. Um, you see it in several times in Scripture when we're dealing with um, even, um, you know, Jacob and Esau in the womb, even dealing with um, Christ in the womb of Mary and or the reaction of John the Baptist in the womb. Um, we can see that, that the life is precious no matter what phase or stage or developmental stage that you're in. And so I think my, um, you know, my views on this issue started from that biblical point. But, um, and I know we'll get into more of this discussion as we go, but as I got older and actually started encountering it for myself as far as in discussions with classmates and friends and then as you get on into um, college and then as an adult dealing with this on a political issue, um, I think the more and more I see um you know, that value of life and how we need to keep that instilled in our society, um, the stronger my stance on this issue has become. Mm-hmm. And especially as I've now been able to turn around and, and not only start teaching my children, who are still very young in this, um, but also as I've taught to the youth and, and high school students, um, teaching other people's children um, how they can have confidence in what we know biblically and how that's always backed up scientifically and especially just morally how we need to, to treat that sanctity of life. How many people are, or I guess, how many women are there affiliated with the Mama Bear apologists? Oh goodness, uh, Rebecca, so you would have take that one because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, our numbers are growing. We are multiplying. <laughs> okay. Um, but um, Hillary um, Ferrer is the original founder of this. This is her. This is her heart. This is what something God has 
God put on her heart, and Mama Bear is, is the name that, that she came up with. But, yes, we have Catherine. We are associated with um, Alyssa Childers. We're associated with Melissa Travis and Natasha Crane. They're kind of loose associates because they have their own um, ministries as well. Um, yeah. I, did I miss someone, Catherine? <laughs> um, I, think, I think you got it covered. And um, it's yeah. definitely, like you said, Hillary's um, passion that really started from this. And I think um, it's such a great name for a ministry because when you say Mama Bear, everybody understands exactly what you're, what you're referring to. We understand that phrase and that connotation of the protection um, over your children. And she saw in particular how we need to not just protect our children as far as their physical safety and their education and their nutrition and, you know, all these things as moms. We look into all those different fields of how to make sure that our child is raised up, you know, just in those ideal conditions and protect them from anything that can attack their child. Um, but we have to have that same diligence when we consider their faith. And we have to start training and encouraging those mom bears to step out and have that protective circle around their child's faith. You know, that doesn't mean that we shelter them from things, but it means we train them up in a way that they can think critically about things and that, you know, those attacks from different worldviews and secularism and um, everything that's that the culture is embroiled in right now, um, that we can train our child to wade through that and hold fast still to that firm biblical foundation. Yeah, teaching uh, teaching children, especially um, how to think critically, is definitely near and dear to my heart. Uh, I actually teach intro to logic to homeschool students, and so it's it's definitely yeah, something yeah. that yeah, that I, I'm very much appreciative of. And so then, are, are the mama bear apologists? Is it basically a group of of mothers who are interested in training children and, and teaching them how to think critically, or is there more to it than that? there's more to it. Um, Hillary herself, um, she and her husband, John, do not have children, but um, they have what they call spiritual children. And um, I think this is also just, we we noticed being in the apologetics community for several years, um, women were kind of an overlooked demographic, you could say, and especially mothers. And like you said, this idea and what what Catherine said, the, the battle begins at home. And um, just like Catherine said, we, we, we are concerned about protecting our children from all so many things. But we, right. sometimes we overlook the spiritual battle that we have entered. Um, you know, we are, as C.S. Lewis said, we're in enemy-occupied territory here. <laughs> There's a rebellion going on, and we have entered it. And, and when we have children, um, they have entered that as well. And we have to train them um, in order to have confidence in their faith and to um, withstand the, the attacks of the evil one. And... Um, so, so just this connection between motherhood and women in apologetics, it, it's kind of, there is, a, there is an aspect that is ministering to women as well. Um, mm. And, and, the, and the, other, the other reality is that women usually spend most of the time with their children, um, even today um, with women out in the workplace. It just still seems like, especially in the Christian community where many women choose to stay home and while their husbands work, um, and so they're usually doing the bulk of the training. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. we wanted to provide some resources for them um, to be able to enter this world of apologetics. It often seems like a man's world, you know, <laughs> and, right. and know that they're welcome to and kind of speak their language because men and women do speak a different language. We're more relational and, and such and in general. Um, 
So that's, I think that was the heart behind it uh, for Hillary. This is my first time having multiple guests on my program. So I'm not planning on addressing these questions to anyone specifically. As soon as I ask it, if you want to jump in, share your thoughts, feel free. And in fact, I'm even okay with it if the two of you just kind of direct the conversation too. Uh, so I could just forget all about my questions. And if you keep, <laughs> uh, you know, chiming in, that's perfectly fine with me too. Um, okay. Cause, uh, Thank you. Yeah. Cause I, I myself do not have kids. And so you know, I'm a, a full-time pro-life advocate. And so, the, you know, there's basically two possibilities if there's something in which I don't have particular training in is I could do the research myself and then just talk about it after doing the research, or I can call people in who have the experience. And so I, I really mm-hmm. felt with a topic like this, talking about uh, controversial topics uh, like abortion or uh, whether or not to put pineapple mm-hmm. on your pizza with, with your kids <laughs> is uh, something I'm not, uh, you know, particularly qualified to, to do. And so I, I really appreciate the two of you coming on and, and talking to me about that. Absolutely. And, and thank you so much for your full-time work in this. Um, yes. Because this is, a, this is a genocide and mm. so many people are, are blinded to that. And mm. I, I'm just so thankful that people have devoted people like you devote so much of their time and energy to this. Yes. I will completely second what she said. Cause that, um, we just applaud you for, for making this a priority and for stepping out there when yeah. um, the rest of us want to be as involved as you, mm. but, but you're able to go and right. do that. So I, I love how God has gifted us and placed us in, in unique situations. And I think even Hillary, as we were talking, is a good example that, um, you know, she does not have children herself, but she sees the call for this. And so she's able to give mm-hmm. that time um, to step out and do that. And that's like the role that you're fulfilling. And, and um, we are literally eternally grateful for the work that y'all are doing too because this is important. Yeah. No, and that you're a man. That that you're a man. I think that is so I know I know you get that's a that's a <laughs> handicap in some people's views, but I right. so thankful <laughs> yeah. for that. Uh, Hillary's husband John, John Ferrer also <laughs> is very passionate and has written and talked a lot about abortion and um so thank you. <laughs> Papa Bears. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, to to a lot of abortion choice advocates, not having a uterus uh, handicaps our moral reasoning when it comes to abortion. Right. You know, that's the way they dismiss you. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. And I think that's something when when Rebecca and I were kind of talking about um, what we bring, um, kind of our unique perspectives on talking about this issue. um, This is something we kind of talked about because we have children um, at different ages and she has girls and I have boys. Um, mine are really little right now. Um, and that was actually a point that I said, you know, now that, you know, I'm going to talk to them about the issue of abortion in some respects a little bit different because um, because they're boys, you know. Um, but right. one of the things that I want them to understand is just because they are males does not mean that they don't have an opinion on this issue. And um, all the more so that they, you know, need to encourage men to stand up for fatherhood. And, you know, the yeah. man is just as important in this issue as the woman. Yes, you know, they can't carry a baby in their belly like a woman can, um, but they still, you know, are there creating life. They are there, um, you know, we need to call them the the men to step out and protect their child, their unborn child, to, mm-hmm. to reach out and protect the woman and the damage that she's going to experience by making that decision of abortion, both psychologically and emotionally and physically even. So it is just as much, you know, a duty of a man to stand up and say what is morally right and wrong 
mm-hmm. as a woman. Yeah. Just because he can't carry a child does not mean he can't recognize what is a horrific thing that our society is engaging in. So, um, yes. so yes, we definitely applaud you um, for taking the stand on an issue that, that some people would say you have no right to comment on, but you very much mm-hmm. have a right to comment on. Well, yeah, thank you. I appreciate abortion you. Hurts. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I, know, I was just going to say, I appreciate you, you saying so. And, you know, it, it's not that we're trying to, you know, force women into parenthood. Uh, you know, it's not something where right. we just uh, are trying yeah. to oppress women or that kind of thing. But we're, we also, as pro-life advocates, are imploring men who make women pregnant to step up and be a father. And so yeah. whereas right. we, don't, we don't believe a, a woman should be able to opt out of pregnancy by having an abortion, we don't believe men ought to be able to opt out of pregnancy either because it takes two to make a baby. Yeah. And so he has a responsibility right. to the woman and the child as well. Absolutely. Right. Excellent yeah. Abortion yeah. hurts everyone. It hurts everyone. So, right. yeah. Catherine mentioned that your kids are, are little. And uh, Rebecca, mm-hmm. I actually got to go out to, to Texas recently and meet you and your daughters. Yes. But just for, yes. for the people who are, yeah, the people who are listening, uh, about how old are, are, are your children? Um, my girls are in sixth grade and fourth grade. Yeah, so, so I guess. And mine. Are, um, yeah, and, oh, and mine. I've got a I've got a four year old and a five year old. So, um, but we have had okay. some interesting um, conversations. But we'll talk about that, I guess, later as we go. Yeah, have you talked to your four and five year old about uh, hylomorphism and and how form proceeds uh, <laughs> function? And <laughs> I guess they're probably exactly. a little younger than that. Right. You'd be amazed at some of the conversations I've had with my five-year-old, but not oh that goodness. one. <laughs> right. Not quite that one. Yeah, so, so I guess the, the, the first question I would have then regarding this is, what, what do you believe is the appropriate age to begin talking to your kids about abortion? Well, that's um, – I think obviously you have to have an age-appropriate level discussion for anything, I mean, any, especially a topic like this, but that doesn't mean that we don't talk to them about it at all. And I think right. just kind of in um, – just in doing uh, just my brief involvement or, you know, um, short bit of involvement in this issue has prompted a few conversations about it. So um, there's been a time where I took my, my children with me to go work at a price, uh, crisis pregnancy center. And um, so we were, you know, helping uh, gather some pamphlets and information to put them in bags to give to some of the women. We were organizing diapers and sorting through clothes and things like that to help mothers that come in. And so I gave them an explanation. You know, they want to know what are we doing here and why are we dealing with this stuff? And I said, well, you know, there are some women um, who are expecting a baby and they might not have everything they need. They might not understand, you know, how to care for the child. They might be afraid. Um, that they can't afford it or can't do it on their own if that's their circumstance. And so we are there to offer encouragement and help to them to help the mothers so that they can better help their babies. Um, And so then, you know, a few weekends later, we go out to the sidewalk of the local abortion clinic to try to um, speak to the women before they go in there. It's the last voice of hope and help for both the woman and the child um, before an abortion actually takes place. And so I had them out there with me, and, um, you know, again, they asked, well, what are we doing out here? And I give the same explanation. You know, there are some women who um, are facing a crisis pregnancy, and they are not sure what to do about it. And so we are here to give them hope, to give them help, um, to show them that that we can, you know, you can raise this child. There is support. 
um, that is a loving thing to do. And um, and so I still spoke about it in a very positive way without having to go into the full issue. Now, that's because mm. they were four and five. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so obviously, as your children get older, we will have a, you know, a more in-depth conversation about it. Um, which is where I guess I'll I'll pass off to Rebecca because now her children are in that <laughs> next phase, um, right. and then I'll yes. also talk to high school students. So then we'll kind of go back and forth like that. So go ahead, Rebecca. Okay. Yeah, I would say it really. Um, you know, you're you're your best the best judge of your child in some ways. So it depends on your child as they get older. Obviously, what they can handle um, knowing. Uh, but I will also add that kids are far more capable of understanding things and handling things than we give them credit for. Um, they, my kids are continually surprising me at what they just intuitively grasp. And they're very good black and white thinkers, so they don't get, the, in some ways they don't get the nuances, but in another way that makes it very clear for them. So um, my kids, my girls were just born into a pro-life family. Um, my brother-in-law um, runs the um, Pregnancy Association of America. He, it's a um, it's a pro-life organization. He goes overseas and trains pastors in Africa. So it's always been in the conversation in our family. And um, um, we were the past the last church that we were part of um, also went um, once a week um, and stood at an abortion clinic here in the Dallas area. I'm in Dallas, and then um, a couple of times they. Um, on Good Friday, they carried crosses around an abortion clinic in our area, and there's some really neat stories associated with that. I never actually went, and my girls didn't, but my husband took part of that, and they knew all about it. Um, after hearing Catherine's story, I'm like, I really, we need to get back to doing that. I don't know if our current church actually does that, but I think that is such a wonderful thing to go, and especially to take your children. Um, my girls, I have talked to them about it. And like I said, I was really surprised when I told them that sometimes women find themselves in a situation where they have a baby and they feel like they can't keep it, they can't take care of it, and they want to um, get rid of the baby. And so they kill it, and that's what an abortion is. And my girls were like, and I said, and that, that's wrong. And, and my girls were like, well, yes, why don't they see that that's wrong? That's that's just wrong, and that seems obvious. <laughs> and so I tried to you know, they caught the truth of that very quickly, but they didn't really catch the pity part. And so I tried to give them more pity, like oh. say, well, you know, it's a, it's a huge responsibility to have children. And so women feel overwhelmed, and we have a world that tells them that it's okay to do this, so they're tempted to it. And mm-hmm. then they're like, okay, that makes sense. Um, so yeah. they're kind of the opposite side of most people in our culture that I think a lot of people are manipulated into supporting abortion out of pity. Um, the pity and suffering arguments are used, and that really manipulates a lot of people. And, and we're always in our Christian life, right? We're always trying to balance truth and pity. We want to have, we don't have want to have pityless truth and truthless pity. We want to have the balance right, right. and to have mercy. Um, so yeah, so my girls just really, it they understood it, and they weren't as shocked by it as I as I thought, but then again, you know, they have just been raised in a Christian environment where we talk a lot about sin. They, we, they study the Bible, they go to a Christian school, they learn about all the sin that's happened in the, the Old Testament and such. And so right. I, I, I think they were, you know, I, they, my, my oldest said, you know, I can't believe that someone would do that. 
Um, but then again, they, I, it didn't send them into some sort of emotional trauma or anything. So. <laughs> right. So they handled it very well. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I would add to then as we kind of progress through, um, as your children grow, you know, I've, I'm dealing with the little age, and, and Rebecca's got the the middle age, and then I've I've also taught right. through just um, my my work at the church, and then obviously here in the high school, of of hitting that age from the ninth through twelfth grade, um, and how do they address this issue? And I feel like that age group is very critical because um, they are the the ones that are now hearing so many voices of out in the world. You know, they're starting to be aware of politics, culture. Um, of the situation, you know, things that might happen, you know, they might know it now on a personal level. They know somebody who has gotten pregnant or they know somebody that's had an abortion. And so when they can, when they start to see it in their, on their own lives and they, they probably side too much with the pity. I see a friend who's in the situation and, um, and they know, you know, that's not the right circumstance to raise a baby. And so it seems like the easier option to have an abortion. So that's a more critical age to really lay out more truth, I think, <laughs> than, um, mm-hmm. than what we've given before. And I think um, it especially needs to come, um, you know, within the church. It's an issue that the church needs to speak more about yeah. inside its walls and outside its walls. And I think silence of it leaves that void that unless the parents address it, which I think some parents aren't sure how to talk about it, you know, then we're allowing the world to form their opinion on it. And we know that's never going to line up <laughs> with, mm-hmm. um, with the moral right of what to do in the situation. And so right. what I first do when I've taught that age group is you can be pretty detailed with them because they understand how the world works, right, for the most part. Mm-hmm. So I go into um, a an in-depth description of what an abortion actually does. Um, and I think it's important for them to hear that, how it's performed, Catherine, what it do you does think they should see? to the baby. Oh, Catherine, do, you think that, that at this, do you think at this point that they should see the pictures? Because I, I really don't think that my girls, I don't think they should see it. They get it, right? They're so logical right. at this stage. But now, like, what you're describing in classical education is the rhetoric stage, where now they're adding the emotion and the rhetorical, you know, they're more influenced by all of that. And their world is bigger. So um, at this point, those pictures, you're describing it, but do you, I just know what an impact they made on me. Would you suggest right. that that's something that you should do at that point? Um, I think you, I think you could, especially from your personal experience and and what an impact yeah. that made on you. And when you think about what they study in a high school biology class, you know, definitely show them yeah. a picture of of a baby in the womb. You know, I think even when you start seeing um, the progression of the life of the baby as it grows in the womb. Um, is very powerful, too, because you can see, um, and that's part of what I do. You know, I start off, I'll describe, this is what an abortion does. This is um, how it's performed. This is not just you walk in and you get a mole removed. Like, they are, um, depending on the stage of the pregnancy, they are literally pulling apart the body of a person, limb from limb. They lay it on the table, and they try to see, you know, have we pulled it out completely? Um, And so... When you when you actually put the reality of what's going on in their minds, um, I think it changes how they would view this issue. And I think if mm-hmm. in the general culture we talked about it out in the open, as this is what abor- an abortion actually does, I do think more people would change their stance on it 
because the reality of it then sinks in. The truth of it sinks okay. in. And hopefully that truth will override um, your, you know, the pity. Yeah, obviously we um, we show care and concern for the mother through the pregnancy, through child rearing, because that's a very difficult task. Um, but the other alternative is very horrific for all involved. And so then, you know, I go back and say, okay, well, well then where does where does life begin? Um, and you can look at it even scientifically. You, and this was something that I didn't fully appreciate until I was pregnant myself. When you go back and you see um, at five weeks, at five weeks, mm-hmm. there's a heartbeat. You know, and most people, most women don't know that they're pregnant at that point, yet there's already a heart beating inside of you, a separate entity, a separate human being inside of you with a beating heart, with a nervous system by eight weeks. So when you start to put the pencil to the paper and you see this progression of life forming inside of you, you have to then go back and ask, well, when is it okay to destroy a beating heart? You know, and I think that's where you can really start to to look at it from um, from that standpoint of full knowledge of what's going on. <laughs> and yeah, it's detailed, when, sort of scientific, yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, when, when you're talking about the uh, the embryonic development, you're you're talking uh, LMP, right? The what now? Oh, when, when you're talking about the uh, the development, like the heart beating at five weeks, those kinds of things, you're talking right. Uh, LMP, right? Last menstrual period. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because as far as embryonic age is concerned, the the heart starts beating uh, at the third third week, which is obviously yeah. measured differently than LMP. And I just wanted to to kind of uh, clarify that because right. yeah. I, I know if yeah, I have people point. listening, they they might uh, start focusing in on, on that. I just wanted to clarify that depending okay. on the timetable that you use. So I'm not trying yeah. to be nitpicky yeah. or anything. That's I just want to point. clarify no, that no, for no, anyone listening. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, no, that's a good point to bring out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. And, you know, I yeah. will say that even my, my sixth grader and my fourth grader can understand this because, you know, I did tell them that the moment that, um, the the baby is conceived, and I just use those words with them, and the moment that all the information is there, they are a totally unique person that, that, is, that nobody else is like them in the world or ever has been, and they are a totally unique person, and, and even if they weren't unique, they are, they are a person, <laughs> you know, and, right, and it's right. extremely valuable, and you can bring in, of course, scripture is always wonderful, you know, you could, like, like Catherine mentioned, you could also bring in Psalm 139 and, and, and such as that, so children actually surprise me at what they can understand, and, and what they want to know, they actually usually, it'll bring on more questions and they want to know more um, after they think about it for a little bit. Um, yeah. And when we talk about using uh, abortion pictures, I give presentations and when I, when I give a presentation, I usually use abortion victim photography, especially when I talk through uh, justice for all, we do seminars and we'll often have uh, high school age people mm. and sometimes even younger people at the seminars and we do mm. show the graphic images, but it's always done respectfully always given a warning beforehand in case someone wants to look away that kind of thing so mm-hmm. when you give a presentation in that respect you can warn ahead of time but I, I kind of feel that if someone is old enough to go in to have an abortion I think they're old enough to yes. be faced with the reality of what that decision does to their 
Exactly. To their child. Yeah, that's a great point. Mm-hmm. They need to know, and unfortunately, we have to show those pictures today. It, it, it's not that we rejoice in showing them. I would think right. it's, it's horrible to have to even because that is a human being's death right there that we are, you know, portraying. But we have to because people have forgotten. It's like um, what they did with slavery, and mm-hmm. back in the the pamphlets that they put out with the pictures of um, of slaves and then these abu- you know being abused and mm-hmm. in chains and such as that. You know, the the William Wilberforce and and all of them, Hannah Moore, they right. had to do that. Yes, it was graphic, but we humans, something sometimes we just become desensitized with, with language, and we forget. Um, right. I was telling Catherine earlier, I mean, we use, they mm-hmm. use the term fetus, but mm-hmm. someone was pointing out, well, fetus is just Latin for baby. You know, we're, you're just saying baby in a different right. language. And but it's we, we we fool ourselves so easily, um, and so sometimes we have to be shocked out of it. And and like I said, I'm so thankful that for those pictures because it has made me pro-life from the very beginning, and I have grown in my understanding and my compassion for women seeking abortions that maybe I didn't have at the time when I first saw those pictures, mm-hmm. but. Um, I, I've never left that, and I'm I'm thankful for that that I've had that vivid those imprinted, and I hate that they're there. But um, in another way, you think those babies did not die in vain in in some ways because mm. hopefully that can be used to you know protect um, if they can mm. be shown to like you said to yeah, someone to who's capable of having abortion, yeah, or right. capable of taking a girl to abortion, you know, girls and boys. Um, both need to be seen. Right. So. Yeah. 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 And I think you know, like you said, even um, just the power of a picture. I mean, we we have that the phrase that pictures are worth a thousand words for a reason because it can be so much more powerful than our language and our description of it. And you know, of course, another analogy. Just you know, Rebecca was talking about free, but when we see pictures of the Holocaust, you know, that yeah. says so much more to us about the depravity. And the you know the depth of depravity that man can reach, and um, right. when we see the picture of it, when we see an image, it is something that's that's unforgettable. Just you know, Rebecca can remember those images now, um, and so I think it, it it is powerful for a reason. And so I think sometimes that might be the best way to reach people and just the full understanding of it. Because what I've when I've taught the 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 high school students about it, what I often say is the the worst thing is that our culture has, we've allowed them to frame the discussion about a woman's right to choose. Um, and that's not really what the issue is about. You know, we've, we've allowed them to remove the, the word abortion almost from the discussion. You know, they call it pro cho- pro-choice, and it's about mm-hmm. reproductive rights, um, almost as a way to stop you from considering what that really means. And so when we can especially right. put the description to it, put the image to it, um, let's really talk about what's going on here. I think it would, mm-hmm. I think the issue as a whole would take a different turn and culture as a whole if we would stop using these words dancing around it. We just call it a fetus and a woman's reproductive choice and, um, and her right to choose, and we actually talk about murdering a baby, and then it would yeah. take a different turn. Whenever an abortion choice person I talk to insists on using uh, more scientific and clinical terms like embryo or fetus, I always use the qualifier human just to ensure that we remember we're talking about just a human being at an early stage of development and not that it's some kind of non-human thing like an alien or uh, or a parasite or, or something like that. 
So right. Yeah. 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 Put it in language can be so abstract and actually mm. we can use it to abstract things so that we don't have to face realities. And so it obfuscate, I guess is the best word for it. And so when yeah, we can put right. a concrete image, yeah, when we can con give a concrete image of it. Um, I have a friend that's a classmate at Houston Baptist University, actually she graduated, that's working on a children's book actually. And it's going to be a poem and it's going to be told from the perspective of a developing baby. And it's going to start from the moment of conception. And it's going to be something that you can have for your children. So at a very young age, you are teaching them that this, this existence you know, existence itself has incredible value and, mm. and you don't, um, it's not our, ours to mess with. And, um, right. so, you know, that's one way you can find things like that to be teaching your very, very young children, um, without you're sort of indirectly teaching them the value of life and you're working against all the pro-choice rhetoric that they will be exposed to later on. Um, right. Yeah. One thing I did want to ask is at what age should a pro-life parent take her kids to peacefully protest at an abortion clinic? But Catherine, you mentioned that you are, are already taking your small children to the abortion <laughs> clinics. Well, I did. Um, it was kind of a special circumstance. It wasn't something that um, that I was going to do every day because I kind of knew okay. um, that the, the I knew the clinic was not going to be in its busy time, so to speak. <laughs> and so oh, right. I was explaining this to Rebecca and she was kind of, um, I guess, uh, shocked to hear kind of how it happened. Um, and I don't, I mean, I don't know. I've, I've only had experience just here with the local clinic um, here in Huntsville, Alabama. So I don't know what mm. it's like everywhere. It could be different. Um, but I know here on certain days, you know, that's when the abortionist is actually there and performing abortions. Right. And some days they're just there for consultation. And so, you know, I took the kids with me when we were going out there um, on a day when there were not going to be abortions going on. And the way this clinic works, and I was surprised to, to see this too, just, you know, not having been fully involved in the issue for a long period of time. Um, when, when they do have um, women coming down there for abortions, they have what, are, what we've kind of coined the term of, of death squirts in that there are women cool. who work with the clinic and they go out into the parking lot when, um, when a woman comes in for an abortion and they put umbrellas around her. They have a huge boom box blasting music. And their whole point in doing that is to escort her from the car to the building, obstructing her view and her hearing mm -hmm. so that she does not hear anybody or see anybody for the pro-life movement on the sidewalk. <laughs> So they are going out of their way to make sure that they do not get any last offer of help or hope from us. And, and that's all that we're trying to do is say, um, you know, please let us talk to you, let us help you. Is it, you know, if you can't afford things through your nursery, you know, those people have raised money and stocked people's nurseries. They have um, given diapers. They've helped in every step of the way they're just trying to offer that last yeah. offer of hope and help for the woman and for the child the irony um, the irony is is that they're pro-choice choice involves right. being able to see hear a competing view and, and the irony of it is they're drowning that out they right. are and that's I'm sorry, very I'm sorry. it should make you so mad. me no it, it it is um it does make you angry because 
because of that <laughs> disparity there of, you know, you are saying you want choice. Okay, well, let's really give them a choice. Let's tell them truly what abortion does to your body, what it does to the baby, you know, what it does to your um, all the data. your psychology. Um, and then let's talk about the other option. If you give birth and we can help you with this, there are support systems in place. There's the, you know, crisis pregnancy center. There are, you know, plenty of ways to get help and support as you raise this child. Um, or adoption, you know, there are lots of other choices to make besides the one that they're trying to shoehorn the woman into making. Mm -hmm. So obviously when it was a day like that, I did not take my young children out there because I didn't feel like that was appropriate for them to see, especially because some of the dialogue from the abortion clinic workers is very ugly and hateful towards us. Um, I know the media portrays it the other way, and most people (laughs) think it goes the other way. Um, yeah. But I, you know, have never been called so many horrible things in a span of two hours mm-hmm. in my life um, mm-hmm. for standing there and saying, will you let me help you? Um, you know, just come talk to us. Tell us what, you know, what you need. We'll, we'll give you anything. We'll do anything for you to help you not make this decision. Um, and we were called horrible things for it. So, no, I didn't want to expose my little kids to that type of environment. But I did think it was important for them to um, – uh, just mostly just as a ministry opportunity, just to see the different ways that you can try to help people. You know, those mothers, um, they need help. They need, you know, hope in a dark situation. Obviously, they're under a bad circumstance if they're going to be walking to an abortion clinic. So, you know, that's important at any age, um, as long as you <laughs> know kind of what the environment is going to be like for them, I think. Yeah, so that's, I would that's definitely I would say the say. same thing. Yeah, yeah. Pick, pick your abortion clinics and the timing right, and and right. you know make sure, and yeah, any and that mama bear you know wants to protect at a certain <laughs> certain right. time, but then you also want them to to know the reality of of what's going on too. Yeah. So. Right. Uh, you, you were talking about abortion choice people using terminology such as choice to obfuscate what's actually going on during an abortion, and it, it's just. That the fact of the matter is whoever controls the usage of terminology controls the debate. And so we've, we, yeah. they've been able to, uh, to make our culture a pro-choice culture because they've specifically been able to uh, move the debate from, you know, what is the unborn uh, embryo or fetus to making it about woman's choice. Right. Yeah. And, and so they've been able to kind of score a, a pretty huge cultural victory by controlling the terminology in the debate. I actually have a, a mm. book on my bookshelf that I haven't read yet, but I do intend to read in, in the future. And I, I don't remember who wrote it, but it's called, uh, I think it's called Dehumanizing the Vulnerable. And it looks like a really good book. It just talks about how in order to, uh, in order to dehumanize someone uh, or in order to argue and convince people that we ought to be oppressing or killing or enslaving, what have you, a certain group of people, then, you know, the, ter- the terminology you use is, is in- instrumental in dehumanizing them and making it so that you can oppress them and kill them, et cetera. Oh, That's my a great point. And choice, choice is such a good word. You're right when I think about it for our consumer age. I mean, mm-hmm. talk about choice. You know, we have so many products. You know, you go down your cereal right. aisle, that's choice, right? And so when you put it, right. make it seem like it's a choice. And it's also choice is linked to freedom. And we are such yeah. freedom lovers um, and right. um, autonomy and independence. And may, I want my own decision. Um, that That is just the perfect word for our culture in so many ways. So, yeah, it's, 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 and so when they call it anti-choice, 
mm-hmm. all of a sudden it makes it immediately oppressive. And they, um, they obfuscate, again, um, the, the fact that they're the oppressors. Um, right. Yeah, it's incredible. It's, yeah. it's, it's evil. It's, <laughs> I think, yeah, and I think, I think the, the freedom aspect especially, too, like you said, we, we like to be in a culture where we're independent and free to choose and be and do whatever I want. Um, you know, in some very moral relativistic society that um, I should be able to make my own decisions and decide my own right and wrong. And, but I want a choice about reproductive matters as well. You can't tell me that. Yeah. And and we, we take this view of freedom into marriage, into relationships, not only into having children. Because in, in reality, Catherine and I can tell you, when you, well, first when you get married, you, you do lose freedom. But and, and and you gain vulnerability, and our culture might view that as suffering in some way. But right. you, you, it's a sacrifice, and having children is a sacrifice. You give up a piece of yourself. Um, I remember when my first was born, I was totally aware. I went to all the classes, and I was, like, ready, like, <laughs> intellectually ready for this child. I was emotionally right. not ready. <laughs> and it just hit me that, oh, my gosh. I mean, I had this a little bit when I got married, but I really had it when I had this little baby, and they were sending me home from the hospital. I'm like, are you sure you want me to go? Um, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I have this this little baby that I am supposed to keep alive, and, and if something were to happen to her, I would never be the same again. And so it's a huge, you know, just having a children, you do give up choice. But it's a good thing, right? I mean, it makes us better right. people. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, it's it's just kind of oh. a foreign concept to people in our culture that our our rights are not absolute, you know, and that uh, yeah. because we have we have obligations to ourselves and we also have obligations to others, and so even though we do have personal rights, well, uh, my rights are restricted when it comes to mm. violating the rights of other people, and so it's it's just kind of yeah. a even a foreign concept that we have obligations to ourselves that just because it's something I can choose to do and I may not necessarily be harming someone else that doesn't necessarily justify it so yeah Yeah. I I think this our culture that we happen to be in today just does not have uh, well I don't think they have a correct view of autonomy and freedom but they also don't have the traditionally understood view of autonomy and freedom which is that you know we don't have the freedom to do necessarily anything we want with our own life or with our own body but there is a moral law that we have to abide by and so true autonomy true freedom is being is having the freedom and having the will to do as we ought to do not as we want to do so our our autonomy is not being violated yeah so our autonomy is not being violated when we say i've been put in this situation now in which I, i have to I have to provide for this child because now I have an obligation to it. That re- restricts my freedom, but it's my obligation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's so, it's so good. It's this idea of absolute freedom. That's actually, that, that's a myth, right? That would be a modern myth because it doesn't right. really exist. <laughs> and and the real right. true freedom, true freedom is in within those channels that have been designed, that we've been designed along that we act within. And when we get outside mm-hmm. of that, that's when, that's when it's really, yeah, we, we have a very skewed view of things. It would be interesting to know when all that went off track. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think it was Adam and Eve. <laughs> well. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah, that was. Um, I think that was definitely the the start of it uh, with, with the fall of man. But you can even kind of track the the progress even in the last thousand years or so, because you had the Enlightenment period, uh, which yeah. you know you still had philosophers like Immanuel Kant arguing that you know that we had, that autonomy is the highest good. But there are still certain guidelines that you had to abide by in order to be fulfilling right. your, your autonomy. It, it wasn't like, you know, just do whatever you want. That's your autonomy. It was you have to be moral while you're following your autonomy. And then from there, it just kind of grew more and more freedom oriented, especially when you start getting into postmodernism, which is where, right. you know, a, a lot of these ideas kind of come from. And so I know someone like William Lane Craig would argue that we're not specifically in a completely postmodern culture. But I think that a lot of ideas of postmodernism have definitely taken root in our culture. Definitely. Yeah, and it seems like the Enlightenment period, they were trying to hold on to all those more ancient views of those things, but they, they had debunked to the grounding of all of that in God. Mm-hmm. And so when you do that, it's going to end up the way it is today. Yeah, because it's going to fall apart of, when you take this. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, that's yeah. There's just what 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 are the grounds? Really, yeah, it's the the groundings are in a, a transcendent moral law um, and a transcendent moral lawgiver that's personal, you know. Do you feel that your views as a pro-life person affect when you have these discussions? In other words, I'm kind of asking if you have these discussions earlier because you want to inoculate your children against pro-abortion attitudes, whereas an abortion rights advocate might wait until later to talk to her kids due to possibly having a prior abortion she feels her child should know about. Catherine, do you want to answer? Or? Uh, well, say that again. Since you're, you're both are pro-life, do you feel that your being pro-life is kind of affected when you talk to your kids about it? Like, do, do you feel like you're talking to them earlier because you're pro-life and kind of want to inoculate oh. your kids against oh. these ideas? No, I or, um, I think, I I think probably so. Versus if we were pro-choice, yeah. um, mm-hmm. I think so. Just because I think right now, um, it's become culturally accepted to be pro-choice. And so I think you need to um, ground them in the truth of that as early as you can. Um, one, just so that they can understand how to talk about it um, from an intellectual standpoint. You know, you also yeah. don't want them to be caught off guard in the issue and, um, you know, face it from a classmate or a friend and them not understand how to really reason through it. Um, and so I think maybe someone who's pro-choice doesn't feel like the culture is threatening their perspectives. So they probably don't feel like they need to address that issue as early on as we do, um, being pro-life. Yeah. So I do think it's I would imagine because we're standing counterculture right now um, that we probably yeah. should talk about it at an earlier time. You know, you want to be the agree. one to guide them through that instead of trying to undo what they've learned from the world, <laughs> so to speak. Right, yeah. I would agree unless the person is like a pretty rabid pro-choice person where it's like that is their life calling. I think those types of people, that it's a religion, it's an ideology and religion, I think, or, you know, just like the radical atheists, um, they are probably starting at a young age um, with their children. So, but I think for us, and I think maybe that's one reason why I wasn't told and my parents didn't directly discuss it with me because at the time, even though Roe v. Wade was already passed, it was still, you know, it was not such a, 
I don't know, most people in our environment here, at least in the Bible Belt, were pro-life. So it was sort of the same problem that a lot of the other generations in the past have had with teaching their children about Christianity. They kind of trusted that the whole culture was Christian. And so they Mm -hmm. didn't have to start at a young age really um, countering specific attacks on their faith versus now Mm -hmm. we have to. That's why, you know, Mama Bear was founded because we realized that that apologetics training starts at a very young age and we cannot, we've got to take it a lot more seriously than we should have already been doing this anyway, you know, always. But it's like, like Catherine said, since our culture is post-Christian and there's more out there that they're going to be exposed to sooner that that are going to counter our beliefs, we need to start. We need to start in on them pretty soon um, in an age-appropriate way. So, right. Right. Yeah, those are uh, good points, especially since the culture isn't going to wait for us to right. instill these values yeah. in our kids and then debate them with us. We have uh, you know, Planned Parenthoods that are setting up shop at, at high schools now ready to, yeah. to give any high school girl who, who finds herself pregnant an abortion. Or, or yeah. you know, give kids uh, you know contraception, saying, "Hey, you're going to have sex anyway, so you might as well just do it safely." And so, yeah, right. the, mm-hmm. the culture is not going to wait for us to educate yeah. our kids and then and then debate us on it. So, yeah, and, and that's um, why you know talking about that issue as a whole. I mean, that's why even um, as you know, as parents, we need to start approaching the whole um, sexuality discussion at a much younger age than previous generations, just because the world is addressing it at a younger age too. So, you know, um, we want to make sure that they understand the truth of the situation from, um, from a biblical perspective before they get fed a whole bunch of, you know, the, the cultural ideas, um, before we can explain to them, you know, this is your foundation of truth so that when somebody presents you something else, you understand how to take that information and discern is this truth or not. So, and, and that goes back mm-hmm. to, you know, even as Rebecca was saying, the whole um, heart behind Mama Bear is training them to be discerning. That's something that all of us, even as adults, should be. <laughs> and I think even as a as discerning. And that's how we get mm-hmm. duped into um, following along things that are not biblical because we have to take in what the world is saying and digest it and say, is this truth? Um, what are we determining? What are we using to determine truth? And we have to now enable our children to do that. You know, to do that, you have to arm them with those tools of thinking, of knowing mm-hmm. what truth is, and how do we discern that? What is uh, some of the language that you would use when talking to your child about abortion? Like, like what are some age-appropriate terms that you use when having this discussion with your kids? Catherine, do you want to go first since yours are the youngest? <laughs> um, well, <laughs> like I said, um, so far what I've talked with them about has just been on the end of ministering in you know, crisis pregnancy situations, and it's been centered on um, loving the mother um, to help her to care for her child and to give her hope and help when she's in that situation. And so obviously centered on the very positive aspect of ministering to somebody in need, and that's, you know, what we're able to go out into the world and do. Um, so, you know, obviously at this point I've not exactly explained what the clinic does, um, except that there are women um, that need our help that go there. Um, you know, maybe in a couple of years, you know, as I think as they get a little bit older and it's now the age-appropriate time to 
talk about sexuality. I think that is a good point to enter into that concept. And from there, you know, you can say um, this is, you know, the biblical definition of how um, sexuality is supposed to be used and how it's designed by God and how we are made male and female and unique. And that, you know, because of that, in a marriage um, between one man and one woman, um, you are called to, you know, multiply and, you know, and be fruitful and produce children. So you can just talk about it from that positive perspective about how much, you know, God loves um, all of us, that you know, how we're formed in the womb and the, the, the value of life. So I think you can take it from a value of life perspective. Um, and then, you know, like Rebecca was saying with her girls, um, some people don't respect that. Some people get in a situation where they're tempted to go outside of what God's design and God's plan for mankind would be. Um, which you can apply that to any situation, right? Um, yeah. So yeah. Rebecca, what yeah. do you think? And that's part, yeah, it's part and parcel of the gospel. And I, I, I like how you start framing it at a young age in a positive sense, because um, I think that's what's going to be the biggest challenge for it's when they get into that high school rhetoric stage and they're more um, sensitive to the rhetoric they will still have had a life of looking mercifully at um, a, people who get abortion and, um, and instead of a dismissive attitude toward it. But I will definitely say like in, like, like with my girls in their in the stage where they're extremely logical, <laughs> you can be more black and white with them and say murder and, um, I don't go into the details of what actually they do in abortion yet. I think that would be too much for my girls. My youngest right now, too, is, I mean, she's just now able to hear the word blood for a long time. She couldn't, oh. so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's just very sensitive, like medical stuff. Just, oh. So, um, right. I, that, you know, some kids may be different. And um, boys, I don't know, they, it, it, you might have like a little <laughs> in your hands that, that will be fascinated by all that. But um, yeah. my girls are yeah. pretty sensitive, so I don't go into details, but I can use mm. words like killing a person and this is murder and get mm. more into the negative, the sinful side of it. Um, but also, as always, within the context of the gospel, in the context of, you know, our battle is really not against flesh and blood, but against, you know, mm. spiritual forces. And so we have a compassion for the people that are trapped in that thinking. Um, mm. And I think that's so good because, that compassion, when they when they learn that there's compassion from our standpoint, when they see the compassion on the other side of the debate, they will not fall into the lie that they give that we just are cruel, you know. And what what was that forced yeah. um, bully? What you had a post Clinton oh. about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> their um, terminology. You know, when I was researching for for this uh, interview today, I, I did a little bit. Of, I did a Google search because I wanted to see what other people were saying about when you should talk to your kids about abortion. And I came across a couple of articles written by abortion choice people. One by Valerie Tarico, who's kind of a thorn in my side because I, I've read a number of her articles, and she's never charitable to pro-life people. She makes terrible arguments, and she, you know, but people read her, her stuff and are, are persuaded by it. So I have to keep up with her and respond to her uh, periodically. But another one that I came across was someone named Jessica Del Balso and she oh. uh, she wrote an article saying that it would it would be absolutely tragic if your kids grew up to, or if your kids became a forced birth bully and so you should talk to your kids yeah. about abortion as early as possible 
to oh, see wow. there's the word force, force, yeah. which is oppression, and bully, mm-hmm. which is a big deal right now. So they right. are I, losing all these catchwords and kind of redefining them by putting them in this context. And so right. um, if, if we have inculcated in our children a compassion, and they've seen that compassion too, like what I love what Catherine's done, actually gone down and have seen the truth of what really goes on at these abortion clinics when um, there's – peaceful protesters out there that are looking to serve the women or go serve in a crisis pregnancy center, um, Mm. then they can, um, in whatever way they can, or just knowing about it, um, they can counteract in their emotions. They won't be as um, easy prey to that kind of propaganda. They will know, well, that's not true. I know that the other side is compassionate too. And um, they will be able to think through that logically a little bit better. Yeah, I think that's a great point about showing such a misrepresentation of what pro-life is about. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it, it is equally important to show them where the, the ministry, the compassion, the care and concern um, from the pro-life side is truly um, for the woman and the baby. Um, the abortionists, they don't care anything at all about that woman. That's, to me, been the most um, eye-opening thing about that experience down at the clinic is just they really don't care about women. If they really care about her, they would her in a different way. You know, they would allow her to come talk to us and say, well, why don't you go see what they have to say so you can, you know, truly make the best choice. Obviously, I never right. think the choice would be for abortion. Um, but if they're really concerned about the well-being of the woman, um, they would have different tactics. If it really were yeah. okay, we all agree because you know, what they what they typically say is we nobody wants someone to have an abortion, but if it's necessary, but that's mm. how they treat it. That's that's not how they approach the issue at all. You know, they are shielding them ironic. from any voice of hope. And it's ironic yeah. they're actually not respecting their choice. They're kind of making the choice for them. So they're actually kind right. of dehumanizing her in a way, or being patronizing at least. And, right, um, right, yeah. And so, by you know, I, so I think that's a great point of how we teach our children this. And of course, as they grow in that age-appropriate way, you start off by showing, you know, that God loves both the woman and the baby, and we love both the woman and the baby. And so, we are reaching out to help them. We're having that compassion for their circumstances. For you know, we know this is a crisis pregnancy. That's why we call it that. That this wasn't what you were planning, but let's work through it in a healthy, life-giving way. Um, and then you can start to show, well, in some circumstances, this is why people are choosing um, to kill their unborn child. And then mm-hmm. as they grow older, you can say, this is what that actually looks like. This is what this is really yeah. doing. So they can see the depth of that depravity as they grow and mature, and they're able to handle more of that information. Um, and so then they see the full picture. They see the love, the, the true love from the pro-life side. Then they see, yeah. you know, the value that God gives to the, to the baby and the mother. But then as they get older, they see the full sin and the full weight of what abortion is doing to to both the baby and to the woman. You know, we need to be honest about the repercussions of a woman who's had an abortion with her yeah. rates of depression and suicidal thoughts. And that sometimes she's not able to have a baby when she wants to um, because yeah. of scarring, because of the physical detriment of an abortion. And so we have to, you know, 
I think that would show a kind of a good progression as we move through, um, as our child grows in age and the capacity to understand all of that, that that's how we can show them um, the full depth of this issue. What I'm hearing, it kind of boils down to regarding when to have this discussion, what what kind of uh, language to use. Uh, it's just basically just judge your own child because each child kind of develops at, at a at their own pace kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And okay. and actually and, and actually just remember too that your children are are probably capable of more than you give them credit for understanding. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I, I so my yeah. parents that are hearing me say that are all nodding their heads because yes. they've all heard that. <laughs> yes. Right. I am too. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a general rule even as you get into just general apologetics as we know through Mama Bear. Um, you know, we yeah. go to the beginning about what kind of conversations do I have a four and a five year old? Well, my five year old, when he was four, he asked me, you know, mommy, who made God? And um, can you explain to me about the Trinity? You know, so mm-hmm. even as a little inspiring mind, you know, he can have some big questions. So I think we do sell them short when we give them just very distinct, mm-hmm. you know, your typical school type answers. They can handle right. a lot more than give them credit for. Um, but but definitely every parent knows their child. They know kind of what they're um, what they're able to deal with at that particular age. Um, but definitely showing the compassionate side from the pro life, um, and then the full weight of what the pro choice is doing. Okay, those are actually all the uh, questions that I had for you. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we we move on and close the the program out? Um, I I think we've covered pretty much everything um yeah i just i would say that i would just tell the parents like we tell our mama bear listeners like we've already said this is something you need to start thinking about and talking about with your children early on because our culture is and and Catherine is right and it's not just you know apologetics it's not just um abortion it's also sexuality and gender you know all of this it's just this is the reality that we live in and it's gone from being a christian society where those things weren't talked about to where they were but you could kind of protect your children now is they're very aggressively seeking to um, indoctrinate at a young age and influence um our culture is and so we just have to be, this is a battlefield. I think C.S. Lewis said that um, in their Christianity, he talked about we are in enemy-occupied uh, territory. <laughs> and yes. it's a right. battle. And we have to remember that. And we, and we shouldn't be scared. Um, that's the other thing, that the, the, the Christ of cross frees us from fear. Um, but we need to be wise. I agree. I think that's a great way to sum it up, just that, you know, these topics, we can't, we can't wait to talk about them, even though ideally we would like to, um, because the world's not waiting. And like Rebecca yeah. said, the kind of culture that we're in, we have to start addressing this um, so that our children are prepared when they encounter um, those things, because it will happen sooner than we want for them for it to, um, but we have to make sure that they're prepared for it. Yeah. Where can people find you online? Are there any uh, websites or, or, or books that you may have written that you'd like to, to plug? Catherine, you have you have a wonderful book that I will plug. Oh. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, so I'll talk about it, I guess. So my book is called sure. Teaching Others to Defend Christianity, um, and you can find it um, on my website, which is um, defendthefaithministry.com. You can get there even through the Mama Bear Apologetics website. 
Um, it's on Amazon. I've actually recently finished doing um, some video series that go along with the book because I wrote it as a, um, as a small group study. Uh, it started with my lectures that I was giving um, to the youth at church, but since then I've taught it to um, men and women of all ages, adults, um, okay. high school students. But it's really to walk you through understanding the basic foundation of why Christianity is truth. So it starts with, you know, how do we know that there's a God? And then how do we know it's a Christian God? How do we know the scriptures are true? And then how do we know that Jesus really is what he claimed to be as the son of God? Uh, because to me, that's the very rational, I'm an engineer, right? So it's my very rational linear progression of understanding the truth of Christianity, that, that God does right. exist. It is the Christian God. There is truth out there of all the other worldviews that are offered. And so that's where we get our life and our hope through Jesus as the Son of God. Um, so it's just six chapters. It takes it and puts it on a very relatable, conversational level, even though it's some pretty big um, p- pretty big questions to tackle. But I wanted to put it kind of in everyman language so that okay. we can take it and talk about it. That's the point, is to use it in conversation. So. Yeah, okay. and I will say it's a very logical, laid out, um, very clear, uh, easy to understand. Um, like like she said, she's an engineer, and you can see it. It's all over the book. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So, so is there is there a Mama Bear Apologist website, or do you all just have your own individual blogs that you kind of combine your forces with? No, there is. There is a, it's MamaBearApologetics.com, and um, – Yes, that's where you'll find us. Find that we okay. have a podcast. Um, we also have a blog. We have um, we have a podcast. One of our mama bears. I didn't mention her. Um, she actually just reads some of the best articles of the week that she comes across, mm-hmm. and she just reads them because sometimes as moms we don't have time to read. We're in the car, we're driving around, but we could listen to a podcast. And so right. um, just listen to someone reading it. And um, that her name is Robin Robin Lopez, and she's. She's got a wonderful voice, and she does a great job with that. Um, we also have another lady, Hillary Short, who goes is doing um, teaching women, going through um, Greg Kokel's book, Tactics, and yeah. using that um, on the playground <laughs> in play dates. Okay. And, such, and then <laughs> yeah. and then writing about it um, and giving us her experiences of some things that she's run into because that's another thing. Um, as a mom, you're in all these organizations, you're taking your kids to all these activities, and you're rubbing shoulders a lot of times more and more with unbelievers. And it's an opportunity to spread the gospel and talk to people about the Lord. So she's doing that yeah. as well. But, um, yeah, so it's mamabearapologetics.com. Great. So, yeah, this has been an interview with uh, with the Mama Bear Apologists, Rebecca Valerius and Catherine Buse. I would like to thank you for listening in. And Rebecca and Catherine, I'd like to once again thank you for coming on and allowing me to interview you on this important topic. Well, thank You're you welcome. for having thank us. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, well, I, I hope you found this uh, information I- important and valuable. So we would uh, just ask that you share it around your social media accounts and rate and review us on our Facebook page and on iTunes. Now, this is a weekly podcast, and it takes a lot of work to put together a podcast each week on top of all the other work that I do in the pro-life movement. As Greg Cunningham of Center for Bioethical Reform says, there are more people working full-time to kill unborn babies than there are people working full-time to save them. I subsist off of donations from financial supporters. People like you keep me being able to do the work that I do. If you like what we're doing with this podcast and would like to support my work as a full-time pro-life advocate, you can go to www.prolifetraining.com, which is the Life Training Institute website, and 
and click on Donate in the menu on the top. You can give a one-time gift or you can give a monthly gift. Just be sure to put my name in the notes section so that Life Training Institute knows to put your donation into my account. And donations are also tax deductible. Now, next week, uh, I'm planning to have Aaron and Nathan joining me again, and we're going to be talking about bodily rights arguments. It's going to be the first of a two-part series. We're going to talk about bodily rights arguments in general, and then the following week, we're going to talk about the other thought experiments that Judith Jarvis Thompson uses in her famous uh, essay, A Defense of Abortion. So once again, I would like to thank you for joining us and thank my, uh, my guests for, for joining us and talking about this, and we will see you next time. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.